Welcome to Send Me the Lick. A lot of what I'm about to show you is stuff that's unfolded in, I want to say, the last 10 days. Already, like, the timeline is blurry for me. I feel like these news stories were unfolding at the same time in my For You page, and I started to notice some trends. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, Tarte, the beauty brand's Dubai trip. Uh, we're going to talk about a beauty influencer named Michaela Nogueira, and we're going to talk a little bit about North Korea. Last year, I read this book by Olivia Yallop called Break the Internet. It's all about the influencer economy, kind of does a really good distillation of this short history or this, or this recent history that we've had, but kind of just like grounding us in, in thinking about the global influencer marketing market size, um, it's doubled since 2019. So a lot of that industry has been impacted by the pandemic when mm -hmm. people couldn't go out into the world to be advertised to. The advertisements came on every single screen you can imagine, whether that is your cell phone, your desktop, your laptop, your Apple Watch. And a lot of that comes through in the form of influencer marketing. In 2022, the influencer market was valued at 16 billion US dollars. It is believed that in the next six years, the industry is going to be valued at 69 billion. So the belief here is that this is just going to get bigger and bigger. And that's why I want to talk about these influencer news stories and kind of everyday people's reactions to what's happening. In Olivia's book, she writes that 54% of Americans aged 13 to 38 want to become influencers if given the chance. And right. we saw this manifest in some other ways last year. There was this, this trend of encouraging everyone to become a UGC content creator because you can make passive income that way. Did you see any of that? I did, yes. Well, I mean, I think we've been living in this world uh, over, I think, since the explosion of YouTube. Uh, YouTube influencers and the monetization of influencers and all of a sudden you get these people that are in their early 20s and they're multi-millionaires and they're famous and they're you know they shop at a mall and they'll shut the mall down so I could see that number being real where you know young people are like that's the career I want where I get to be famous and then also the tools are in my possession where I can just be an influencer if I choose and the, I and you can copy the aesthetic you can copy the style of the content and if you're hot you know your chances are actually pretty good that you could probably do something like look into the etymology of the term influence mm -hmm. um it is derived from the word influencia and the term refers to the radiation of an occult power from the cosmos that has had the power to alter human decisions and impact destiny on earth Olivia, in Break the Internet, she writes, Unlike the celebrity before them, influencers are the first directly self-selected, self-elected stars whose success rests solely on their symbi symbiotic relationship with those who follow them without mediating structures of film, sport, fashion, industry, or traditional media. So pretty much a different interpretation of what you just kind of shared right mm -hmm. below, or right mm -hmm. before. Um, so I'm going to switch my tab to this time piece and start kind of talking about some cultural artifacts that fall under this. Time releases this article last week 
called Why the Internet Became Fixated on an Influencer Trip to Dubai. So last week, several influencers known for uploading makeup and lifestyle content began posting that they were heading to Dubai with Tarte Cosmetics for the launch of a new foundation product. They included TikTokers like Meredith Duxbury, a makeup influencer with over 16 million followers, Alex Earl, a relatively new influencer who recently gained popularity from her Get Ready With Me content and has over 4 million followers, and Monet McMichael, a beauty and lifestyle blogger with over 2 million followers. As the creators started posting their travel vlogs on their way to Dubai, people began noticing they were sitting in business class. Once they got to their destination, they showed off their personal villas at the Ritz, and a wealth of beauty products and clothes and gifts that awaited them. So I'm gonna play one of the clips from these influencers. There's something going on with this Tarte trip and I, I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. Now, for the influencers that went on this trip, the ladies, I don't blame them, go ahead, get your back. But the economics of this trip do not make sense. Let's start with the trip there, okay? All of these ladies, and there was a lot of them, all flew first class on Emirates to Dubai. They didn't go to LA, they didn't go to Miami. They flew Emirates first class to Dubai. Do you understand how much money that costs? And then on top of it, they all got to bring a plus one. If you want to fly first class from New York to Dubai, it's going to cost you around $22,000, all right? Now, on top of that, all of them had a plus one. So that's $44,000 just on the trip alone. Where are they staying? Oh, Rich Carlton. And this is one of those hotels you can't even find how much money it costs to stay there. You have to like call somebody because it's like they know rich people ain't fucking booking on Expedia. And they're all staying in these phenomenal villas too. Like it's not, they aren't suites, they're villas. How much money do you think these villas go for a night? I'm gonna say 5K. That's probably being generous. This 10K? How much do you think that villa costs to rent for one night? 10k usd sounds reasonable for what i'm looking at here it's easy sorry no no no. perfect so this self-described elite level journalism came from barstool sports and if you look at some of the comments here you have people kind of just being really critical of tart don't forget they gave these influencers a lot of extremely expensive products Makeup is a multi-billion dollar industry. So like a lot of criticism. First, our timelines look like the content from Dubai, from these influencers that they've hired. Allegedly, everyday people are now making their own Tarte Cosmetics content on TikTok with the aspirations that one day Tarte will send them on one of these influencer trips. Then we get like stuff like bar stools being like, this is ridiculous in this current economic climate. This is unethical. And you start to see debates like this one, where people were like, wow, this was like the worst way to spend a marketing budget. Like uh, Tarte wasted all their money. Because I guess in the contracts with these influencers, they didn't have a contingency that they could only use Tarte products. So these people are out in Dubai doing these um, makeup videos, having fun and showcasing other brands as well. 
So by now, I am losing my mind watching people make TikToks on this tart trip because you guys, I used to work at influencer marketing. This is not expensive for them. This is genius. It's like a drop in the bucket. Let's get into it. I'm going to break it down. So say tart makes like $9 million a year. So much of that income is from influencers. They're actually featured on this Forbes list. And in general, influencers sold like billions and billions of dollars for brands last year. As we know, the influencer marketing industry has never been more expensive. Like brands have never spent more on influencers because brands know that people like us, we don't really care what celebrities think. We care what influencers think. I'm going to buy a concealer from Alex Earl more than I will for from Jennifer Anderson right now. So keeping all of this in mind, a marketing budget for a B2C company like Tarte is probably around five to 10% of their revenue. For Tarte, I'm sure it's way more than that. But let's just say their marketing budget is 900,000. I'm sure that most of Tarte's and almost their entire budget is probably on influencer marketing. Something I think people aren't remembering as well is that they are getting so much exposure. Emirates, the Ritz Carlton, all of these brands that they're working with are getting so much exposure. I'm sure a lot of it is gifted. So even though the flights cost $50,000, they're probably not spending $50,000 on the flights because they're getting literally billions of views on that specific first class flight. Tar is going to make so much money from this trip. Let's leave it at that. So where's your mm-hmm. head? What are you thinking? So she's absolutely correct, right? Like a major uh, beauty brand in the space. And these internet sleuths have put together that they may have spent like a million dollars on the influencer trip. In the context of marketing budgets writ large, like you and I have both worked in the marketing industry where we've had to deal with budget and all the rest of it, that is not a lot of like it. it it's obscene from it's it's obscene from the global macro perspective of mass inequality and you know layoffs and all of these other things so yes absolutely there's chris as being a waste but what people don't realize and i think this is what you set up in your in your intro is that you know she said it right there i'm not buying makeup because i saw an ad on tv watching the bachelor with jennifer aniston because jennifer aniston is no longer relevant to the people they're trying to market to. So mm-hmm. by using the people that are relevant to the audience, literally fundamentals of marketing 101, know your audience and understand who influences your audience, period. Mm-hmm. It does seem like a waste, it does seem excessive, but it misses the context of how much it costs to run a billboard in Times Square, for example. Yeah. You know, so there's like, or how much it is to buy a Super Bowl ad. So ridiculous. There's one a lack of literacy in how expensive marketing is from a consumer vantage point. But the other yes. element to this that I can't help but think is when it comes to the attention economy, the yes. business model is designed to run off of controversy. And I'm starting to think hmm. that maybe school was even kind of part of the business plan. Um, I'm getting to like a bit of an influencer conspiracy, but they didn't stop making TikToks about this. So same guy, right? Same guy from Barstool. Okay. He's on part four now, by the way. So, investigation part four, because yeah. he's getting engagement on this topic. Yeah. He's creating content about the topic because it's enriching him now, you know? So here's part four. Couldn't tell you what was in part two and three, um, but let's play a little bit of part four. Nobody goes on a victory lap like the Jack Mack Army. And when we saw Tart now <laughs> opening for the director of brand marketing, and it was just released right after the Dubai trip, I told the entire army to put on their running shoes, 
because we're not going for just a walk around the block. We're going for a marathon, all right? 26.2 miles. All I heard was, this is so smart, so smart. Recession-proof marketing. <laughs> All these terms that if you didn't take a marketing class, you would have no idea what they're talking okay, about. So literally just us right now. It's a tax write-off. It's a tax write-off. It's a tax write-off. Guess what? It's a tax write-off, sure, but you still just lost millions upon millions of dollars. We're sending a bunch of influencers over to Dubai to not even use your products. I was watching it get ready with me. I never watched one of those. I was watching one with some of those influencers. They don't even use the tart. They put the tart on and then they put other makeup on over it. Jack Mack was right. Jack Mack was right. Jack Mack. So I don't think Jack Mack was right because what I see on my screen is a free ad for tart to find yeah. a new director of brand marketing that at least 50,000 people engaged with. Right. Maybe they missed the mark overall. None of us will ever know. This is all internal, right? Tart gets yeah. to decide whether or not this was successful. And what do you think Tart does? It really <laughs> So I'm guessing today's marketing sync is canceled. The 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 caption the, the caption. The caption. The caption. The caption. The oh. caption on it says, so I'm guessing today's marketing sync is canceled. And on the video by Tart where one of their employees is wearing um, a mascot costume of, I think, their Shape Tape Concealer, one of their most famous products. It says, point of view, you show up for work, but the marketing team spent all of our money on a brand trip. And they're in an empty office. And the comments here are, it's giving self-awareness, okay, Tart, with almost 45,000 <laughs> likes. Um, and someone goes, looks like the new marketing team is putting in work with like almost 30,000 likes. And so people are still talking about it right it's yeah. not um maybe the way tart had intended or maybe they had we don't know but the reason i bring this up is because i think there are a lot of other interesting behaviors happening around influencers especially beauty and there's like chapters to the story that i'm skipping does barstool does barstool sports investigator guy uh -huh. i don't know his i don't know his tiktok name uh -huh. does he not realize that by doing four-part series on the Tart trip that he's also now doing and has enrolled himself in influencer marketing he may of a different kind is he in on it i think he's in on it <laughs> and if so that is genius yeah that is like that is like that is like uh early am appy level genius of creating controversy and then solving the controversy have you ever read the book trust me i'm lying by Ryan Holiday, who's now gone into like writing about like stoicism and stuff. But he was the head of marketing at American Apparel. And he used to do these little, those shoots that would cause controversy. And then he would pretend to be someone else and call up like the New York Times and say, oh my God, this is disgusting. You guys have to cover this and create his own controversy that would just roll and roll. There's a literal textbook on this marketing. Exactly. So very, very, very interesting. Whether it was intentional or not, what I'm witnessing is you give people something to react to and they will create content for you and push out whatever you were originally talking about further. You lose control over the narrative, but I personally still have a hard time believing that the executives at, Co at Tarte Cosmetics are upset about this campaign. There's no way. There's also this thing that you've been seeing across your TikToks, which is the 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 gross food trend right 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pour. Here's our my one pot deal meal, and then you're just like dropping cereal and like ground beef and whatever else in there, and it's like, you know, the the people getting mad at it. They're like, ew, that's so gross. Like it's engagement farming. It's rage farming, mm-hmm. and so like rage farming as an engagement tactic. I think it's one thing that people aren't as necessarily critically aware of. But it's everywhere right now. Rage marketing is really working. And so this is giving uh, fake controversy. Right? So fake controversy, controversy builds engagement. So within like seven days of this tart stuff, then we have another beauty kind of uh, creator drama. The beauty community on the internet is ripe with toxicity. Um, her drama channels dedicated to it and like sagas and eras and this became a new one so we have a tiktok creator by the name of Michaela Nogueira and she was one of the original kind of everyday people who got on tiktok in the pandemic and developed a fan base and her fan base was really supportive and appreciative and trusted her and um, she's arguably one of the top beauty influencers on tiktok right now So she posts on January 24th, she posts this TikTok testing out a L'Oreal mascara. Um, It's the telescopic lengthening mascara. And in it, uh, she doesn't really properly communicate that it's an ad. Okay, so I don't think she has like the full ad sticker at the bottom, maybe doesn't have the hashtag. She's wearing false eyelashes and says the product is amazing. And the internet goes into a spiral, or this corner of the internet goes into a spiral and says she's lying to her fans, she's doing it for the paycheck. Jeffree Star, this is where Jeffree Star comes in. I try not to pay a lot of attention to him because I think he is kind of like master manipulator of of the algorithm. Has some criticism. Probably a handful of other famous TikTokers, beauty influencers comment on this. Comment on the fact that it is irresponsible and um, problematic that Michaela's lying to her fan base. So typically when you have this kind of controversy in the business model, there's an apology video. I wanna play you a uh, recap by another TikToker on the situation of how Michaela responded. Michaela Nogueria has responded to all the backlash for the first time. It's King Asante and let's talk about it. As we know, many people are accusing her of lying to her 15 million followers in a video where she wore fake lashes to amplify a mascara's effect. She denied wearing eyelashes in the comment section and many people were just like, why are you lying to us? This created so much drama, especially in the beauty community. It literally resurrected Jeffree Star. Well, she's finally back <laughs> to say. I'm sure we all know why we all gather here today. It's the month of love, bitches. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not fucking around on Valentine's Day, okay? <laughs> my shadow looks are about to fucking hit. All right, pew. She continued to do her makeup without mentioning the situation like it never happened. So homegirl doesn't care. Yeah. Right? Completely skirting over the controversy. And you know what? Prob- Michaela's probably right. She can probably get away with, with this little flub. Okay? Is it a flub? Like, is, is like, is this, like, again, you know, we, we discussed on the last episode, our corners of the internet. Yeah. You're in the more himbo bimbo uh, side of it sometimes. Yeah. And intellectual, you know, as well. But. Yes. But there is like a, a, a thing here where I look at this and I go, okay, so she's using fake eyelashes to amplify the effect of the mascara. And so this is a scandal. 
why would she care about that you know like like is she lost followers like or has she grown followers i think that's the thing here right did she did, did this amplify her even more you know did this controversy just thrust her more in the spotlight typically like there will be some sort of drama video like whenever something happens with james charles there'll be a trap yes. of how quickly he's losing followers with michaela uh -huh. i don't have that data but what i okay. do have is a thread on twitter from a lawyer looking at this from an ftc compliance standpoint but let's just read through some of the points that rob front at robert from law has made so to recap michaela uploaded a video reviewing the l'oreal telescopic life mascara it appears to be sponsored content it looks like she applied fake lashes to exaggerate the mascara's effects I see two main issues here, ineffective disclosure of the sponsored nature of the content and false or misleading claims in the endorsement. The FTC requires that any material connection between an endorser, for example, an influencer and an advertiser like L'Oreal must be disclosed and cl clearly and conspicuously. Otherwise the ad is deceptive and violates section five of the FTC act comes at odds with what we just talked about in terms of intentionally creating controversy. Yeah, I think in this case, it's a, a, a legal compliance issue, which is not maybe something you want to create a controversy in of where you could get sued by the government. But it you know, maybe reminds, you stay it, away from it. Right? <laughs> Um, so maybe there'll be a lawsuit for L'Oreal and Michaela yeah. at some point, but there'll also be like 3,000 beauty drama stories from now until then, and we'll forget about it and we won't care. But it reminded me of a video you sent me recently about Emily Mariko. So Emily yes. Mariko is a food content creator. She's likely done so much more, and I'm probably not doing her, her art and work a service, but I associate her with the salmon bowl. You might have seen the, the salmon video. bowl, yes putting yes. an ice cube as she like reheats her rice, which I've watched a handful of videos that have suggested that scientifically that doesn't do anything. But let's go back to this duet. Oh, it doesn't? Because I was a, I, I was about to do, try that actually. You should my, try it. The ice cube thing? I was like, genius. Yeah, it'll like steam <laughs> and rehydrate the rice, but apparently that's not how rice works. Okay, this is Chef's opinion on the whole pumpkin pie disaster of Emily's Thanksgiving from a few weeks ago. Not for a second did I ever think this was real. What we know about Emily is that she is savvy at social media. She knows what she's doing, and you can see from her page she has a decent cup. She makes edible stuff, and this is inedible. But she's not on this app to just make like good food and like inspire people to create. She's on this because she's good at what she does. She's good at social media. And what makes better content than something controversial? Nothing. Controversy feeds engagement and gives her tons of money. She's great at social media, at business. And did she, do I for a second think she actually served this? Absolutely not. But we're still talking about this pie and that just proves how good she is at taking. The pie looks just like terrible. When she cuts the slice off, it looks like, like it's given baby shit. Honestly, like, like, and like her, like the pumpkin pie is undercooked, and then her whipped topping. You just want the peaks, and she keeps peeking it until it's like ice cream. Mm -hmm. So she's got this super hard whipped topping on an undercooked pumpkin pie that looks so unappetizing that she eats it from the side. And my understanding is that they're that this video specifically caused 
an up like that's what she's referring to she's like yeah. saying look everybody's mad at this but she's not an idiot she knows how to cook it's clear from her other videos she knows how to cook somewhat maybe the ice cube thing is bullshit but whatever those are the kind of hacks that are floating around the internet all the time and you don't know like i'm not a scientist you're not a scientist we don't know how food works so yeah sure i'll put an ice an ice cube on my rice maybe that'll work maybe it won't. that's not the point the point being that yeah i I, I, I come, we talk a lot about the sociologist Bruno Latour, and I don't want to go academic on this at all, but he would say that the best time to observe society is a moment of controversy, because that's when the actors swarm, and the actors being, in this case, other TikTokers and commenters and everything else. That's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. And, and it never occurred to me how easy it would be to generate social media attention just by doing the smallest things to piss people off. I'll give you one other example that in this vein is that Liquid Death put out horoscopes. You know, Liquid Death is yeah. the like black metal uh, water for men yeah. uh, or whatever. Water needed personality. Water needed personality, it needed edge and they brought it, right? So they did a horoscope and they did it for every sign except for Scorpio. Perfect. Brilliant. Because what are you finding? Where's the Scorpio? What the hell is this? Why are you showing the Scorpio? And if one sign, you know, is going to be pissed off about leaving Scorpios off or Scorpios off, it would be Scorpios. I think my takeaway from this is that if you spend time understanding how people operate, marketing yes. is not as hard as you think it is. It's not. Right? Just throw Scorpios under the bus. <laughs> Leave Scorpios out. And that will drive engagement for a week, put Scorpios in, and it's just another shitty horoscope play from a brand. Yeah. Right? I, I'm, I want to bring us home because okay. there's, there's two more things that in this one week came onto my For You page and I was like, the signals are talking, but no one's listening. Yes. You're seeing the word de-influence. Yeah. And you would think that it is this cultural conversation about not wanting to buy every single thing that you see on your screen, right? Kind of trying not to overconsume, purchase intentionally. Yeah. I'm going to show you yeah. some clips that came on my For You page. So the algorithm by Destiny has decided this is how I'm going to understand this concept. Influencing video so that we can all save some money. Except I'm also going to choose the better option in this video too. Olaplex, not all Olaplex items, but specifically the shampoo and conditioner. Don't be fooled by the empty bottle. I had to use it because I spent all my money on it. And like with our skin type, <laughs> my hair are different too. I had very thin and fine hair. Honestly, it like made me have hair loss. It wasn't suited for me. But it says it's for all hair types, so it's not. And so I'd recommend Redken All Soft. This stuff is amazing. I get it from Amazon. Kevin Murphy's a little bit pricier. To recap de-influencing for this individual is telling you products you shouldn't buy that she was influenced by from the algorithm. And then her solve is recommending a product you should buy. Yeah, missing the point slightly, probably. Let's do it one more time with a different creator. 
everyone was running to buy the House Labs Foundation, and then literally a month later, everyone was running again to buy the Makeup by Mario Foundation. I feel like this de-influencing trend has just turned into people talking about products that they hate, and I feel like it's way more than that. Instead of doing a full face of products that I hate, I thought I would share with you guys some tips on the right way to be influenced. And by following these cues, you will not only be buying better products, but also you're going to be buying less products. So the products that you'll be buying are actually going to work for you. First off, when you're watching influencer review anything for the skin, a foundation, a concealer, a primer, do they have the same skin type as you? Why would you not do your base makeup based off of your skin type? You're just so this one, this creator at Makeup by, I want to say Monica, she's at least teaching a little bit of digital literacy, but she's yes. calling it de-influencing a trend, which just feels the antithesis to what they're actually trying to do here, right? To, to communicate right. that right. influencers are encouraging you to buy products. They're contractually yeah. obligated to do so. They're selling you as much as they can. They don't care whether or not the products actually work. And I do think there is an appetite for de-influencing. But remember at the beginning of our chat today, the size of the market, the current size, and how we expect it to grow. And I wanna leave you with this completely different way that influencing um, is, is in our current culture, which brings me all the way to North Korea. So this clip um, is a minute and 40. I'll play it through all the way. These influencers want you to think life in North Korea is great. Like any other lifestyle YouTuber, Yumi posts videos from her daily life, all from her home country, the totalitarian hermit state of North Korea. She takes her viewers to a local restaurant, a grocery store, a gym, and even an amusement park. She's got a passersby to weigh in on the Ronaldo-Messi rivalry and sings praises to leader Kim Jong-un for nice things she sees. But she's not the only North Korean influencer posting on YouTube, a platform that's been banned by the government along with other social media websites. In June, a couple of weeks after North Korea reported an unnamed disease was infecting tens of thousands of people, 11-year-old Songa uploaded a video of military doctors visiting her home with medicine. Just like this, everything is under control as it used to be, and everyone is just fine. Yes, she also speaks English fluently with a British accent, thanks to her diplomat father who was once based in London. Analysts say the government is using these YouTubers to spread propaganda, creating an illusion that life in North Korea is normal. They're probably also wealthy, unlike a majority of citizens. Similar YouTube accounts have been linked to state-run media in the past, though they've since been banned. Their videos praised the dictatorship and claimed to provide an unbiased view of the country. In North Korea, public criticism of the government is unheard of, and any dissent is harshly suppressed. Most people in the country don't even have access to the internet. Everyday life is also much bleaker than what appears in these videos, analysts say. Arbitrary detention and forced labor are just some of the human rights abuses reported about North Korea. These influencers want- The critique of North Korean influencers who are blindly selling their the, uh, ideology of the way that the that influencer has been taught is right and the right way to see the world is in absolutely no way different than any of the other influencers that we've seen today, including the like the last round of de-influencers who like have such a strong capitalist ideology as a way to to see the world that they can't de-influence. They have to shift it into, okay, don't, cons it becomes a this and not that in the guise of 
trying to enable you to make, you know, more uh, personal decisions or not to be caught up by this stuff and not to blindly consume. But it's instead, it's just, well, just listen to me instead of them. But we're all in the same bucket. And at a time, I think when we're having, you know, we have this where we started a mass inequality and a growing concern about affordability of cost of life. The fact that in Toronto, you have to make now 70000 or $60,000 just to afford a shitty basement apartment. And, and, and it's making that instead it's shifting the conversation and your attention away from those real problems into things that you can control, such as what's the right hair styling product for me, right? Or your choice is not between working, you know, this last core core video that we talked about in that last clip we played at the end with people being kind of like exhausted and fed up and feeling uh, used and abused by this system. So so it's easy to look at the North Korea thing and look at them and go, oh, weird. They're totally, you know, North Korea pilled. It's giving communism, like all the other, it's easy to kind of give them that critique but it's no different. It's just a different ideology that they're using the same technology to put forward. Yeah. So of course they're gonna use it because it's effective. Yeah. I see all of this unfold in my timeline in the span of honestly like 10 days. And it makes me think about how much marketing has gotten out of hand and how culturally we need to be taught some literacy skills or just like have these like mm-hmm. regular moments of awareness because if we go back to the, the etymology of the word influence, it is psychological manipulation for humans to make decisions in their everyday yes. life. And this is right. happening all the way from concealer to like... The way of life that you would live under a certain uh, political regime. Yeah, like it left me speechless. To, to get this yeah. North Korea video on my feed after all of these different videos about the Tart controversy, the Michaela controversy. And the craziest thing to me is that when you and I hop off this call, right, and go on Twitter, go on like our media distillation du jour, there's gonna be a whole new controversy with a whole new set of influencers. And we're gonna forget about all of this. The world is moving too fast in our lawmakers or, you know, kind of the institutions we have that are intended to keep people accountable are going too slow. And it they can't le- keep up with it. And they're also self-selectively, our lawmakers have self-selected out mostly on engaging on these platforms. It's like, oh, AOC has got a TikTok, right? But meanwhile, the people that are making political decisions or helping even the head of media companies, like, what happened to the people at Vice that would have known that that TikTok video had more to say about it than meets the eye, that it does say something about the use of these kind of audiovisual technologies to shift your behavior and to shift the way that you think. I don't think influencer marketing is an inherently bad thing for the record. I think it has a place in a mix of, for companies to express their values and their product and all these other things. I think. It's okay. I'm not like coming out. I actually think influencer marketing can be quite effective. If uh, we had to argue the future of influencing, 
I kind of summarize it as two camps. We're going to mm -hmm. start to see more and more micro influencers with niche communities that have like a legitimate relationship with the person who is consuming their content, their audience, whatever language you feel comfortable calling, the viewer and the creator. There'll be an element of parasocial relationships, but the, the, the dynamic will feel more genuine. There's shared interest, yes. aspiration. And then I think we're gonna see a second kind of area where it's people who wanna buy the lifestyle. They don't care. Yeah. Um, yes. they, they want the signals to communicate to the world who they are, what their life looks like, what their values are. And unfortunately now that comes through content and, and conspicuous goods, right? Like things we don't actually need. Smoothies and, and nicely designed blenders and calm app. And, and this morning as I was like preparing for our call and this conversation, I thought about this 2009 song from Gossip, um, Heavy Cross, do you mm. remember? It's a cruel, cruel world to face on your own A heavy cross to carry along The lights are on, but everyone's gone and it's cruel It's a funny way to make ends meet Like the, the opening lyrics, it's a cruel, cruel world to face on your own, a heavy cross to carry along. The lights are on, but everyone's gone and it's cruel. It's a funny way to make ends meet when the lights are out on every street. It feels all right, but never complete without joy. And it just kind of left me thinking about, that's how I feel with the influencer economy as a critical thinker and a marketer, that it's a heavy cross to bear. And we're not critical of the things on our screens. And we're also not really thinking about the weight and impact of the things that we're putting out into the world as marketers. You're absolutely right. It's kind of the one I was thinking about the send me the link podcast and I post, I made a LinkedIn post, which got more engagement than, by the way, any other platform that I shared the send me the link link on. What I heard, what like the way that I was framing it for other uh, others, I have a large network of other marketers and people who work in the, that kind of industry on that platform. And to me, it was like the what's missing in the conversation from the from the business perspective or the people that are making these decisions is it's so caught up in like conversion metrics and time on site and and quantitative. You know, well, how many clicks did we get on this ad? And that's how we know it worked. And I think that the world has kind of moved and fed up in a way that we're not even conscious of how much these platforms have changed from under us. And so, yeah, like I can put an ad on TikTok and that ad might convert buyers, but it's almost like just because that metric or that number tells you something about the way that that performed, doesn't take you off the hook about what you put into that cultural pot or the cultural stew or the conversation. Our prayers have been answered. Maureen Kelly, the CEO of Tarte, just in an exclusive interview with Glossy to set the record straight on this trip. And she's giving us all the details.
Since 2015, they have done over 20 of these kinds of trips, and she explained that they really prioritize putting their marketing budget into building relationships with influencers, just like some brands invest in a Super Bowl commercial or a multi-million dollar contract with some athletes. The theory is debunked though, because they did not have any help from the tourism board. However, they did partner with Sephora Middle East. We were correct on the room drops though. They actually do partner with tons of like-minded brands to give the influencers the clothes and all the gifts that you're seeing in their rooms. And I love this. They partner with tons of small businesses and many of those are female founded. We love that. While she wouldn't give the details about how much this trip actually costs, what she did mention is they don't require anything, nor do they pay anyone to attend. There were a lot of theories out there that they were covering the cost of the trip and paying these girls on top of it and they didn't pay anyone, even Alex Earl. Like I said in my first video, I think that this is such a great marketing move on their end because considering how much these creators charge for one TikTok video, to invest that amount in a trip absolutely makes sense for the buzz and the press and the publicity and the content that came out of it.